0: You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston, and this is The Bike Show. And this week, The Bike Show has a distinctly Mediterranean feel and also a gastronomic feel, in part, but not exclusively, because I am sitting in a beautiful square under a series of plane trees in the dusky light of Aix-en-Provence, way down in the south of France, and sitting beside me sipping a beer is Bike Show regular guest and contributor William Greswell. Welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot, Jack. It's great to be back. It's been a long time. It certainly has. I think the last time we were on location for the Bike Show was in a rather damp and muddy field in northern France waiting for the riders to come through on the Paris-Roubaix.
1: It certainly was. This feels very different. Um, Yeah, that was about a year and a half ago watching Paris-Roubaix. Very nostalgic, but yeah, it's, a,
0: it's an entirely different environment here in Provence. And we've come down on the train with the bicycles from London, and um, it was you that masterminded the logistics behind that train journey. How do you get down to the south of France with a bike, with minimum fuss?
1: Well, it's not too painful, but um, what you do need to do, you need to invest in a bike bag. Um, you can get, get one from your local bike store, it's no big deal. Um, uh, but basically the steps are... To get from London to Lille, you, uh, you need to drop off your bike at the Eurostar terminal a couple of days before, and your bike goes ahead of you. And um, for the TGV, that's when you really need the bike bag, otherwise you won't get your bike on the train. But that travels with you, so uh, so there's so much room on the uh, on the on the TGV um, that it's uh, it was really
0: relatively simple. I mean, we didn't have to make any reservations for the TGV. Um, it took us four hours and. And a half, four and a half hours to get from Lille down to Aix-en-Provence, travelling at frightening speeds. We were on the top deck, and um, though usually the, the TGV is a lot smoother than British railways, it was still a bit rocky up there at top, wasn't it? It was a
1: little bit, and I reckon that's just that, that, that was the height coming into play. But yeah, it was—it was—it was incredibly comfortable and so speedy, and uh, a, a far superior and uh, relaxing way to travel and, and civilised too really civilised. I mean you can walk around, there's a, uh, there's a nice restaurant car with loads of room and a, and a full menu, um, you, the, your typical croque monsieur through to uh, your creme brulee and, uh, and even espresso
0: coffee. So we're here, we've stretched our legs uh, on the first day today, a 60 kilometre loop around Le Mont Saint-Victoire which is the kind of massif mountain with two peaks that is the subject of quite a number of Paul Cezanne's paintings um, he of course spent a lot of time in Aix-en-Provence and yeah those that mountain features quite heavily in his body of work I remember there being a retrospective in London of Cezanne a few years back and uh, that, that, that massive cropped up quite a lot in different shades of light in the morning and in the evening it's quite an impressive lump of rock isn't it yeah really stunning a, a um one of those limestone mountains
1: with a with a very sharp escarpment and wide, it's a wide cliff really that just sticks up out of the plain and um, really stunning you, you can just imagine what it would feel like over, over the whole summer and in individual days about the changing
0: colour and light and stuff, yeah it was really stunning We passed a few of the lavender fields, they are not just for the postcards, they do really exist and I got a sense that it was incredibly dry. I just felt drier than I've ever felt on a bike ride, even in the Alps or hot parts of central France that I've ridden in or Croatia. I just felt like the water was just evaporating off of me and I was feeling really dry by the end of it. I think the air
1: here is just, it, you know, people talk about the
0: clear air,
1: and why artists love love working in, in this part of the world and um, they must be related to that, that there's so little moisture in the ground and in the air and you're right,
0: boy, did we get dehydrated today. The ride which has revealed many of the shortcomings that I think are going to be further accentuated as we ride more considerable distances and t- try to tackle greater elevations in the week to come because we are in the region of Le Mont Ventoux which is... A legendary mountain for all of cycling but probably particularly for British cycling. It's going to be a
1: real a real pilgrimage I think to a place um, that myself and and you Jack I think have, have wanted to go to ever since our interest was piqued in the uh, Tour de France and cycling in France in general and I think the trip up Mont Ventoux is going to be emotional, hot, um, tiring, long, um, dry Um, and generally uh, I think it's going to feel important
0: um, in the things that we've kind of done in France. Well we're very lucky also because a big stage race the Dauphiné Libre is going to be passing up Le Mont Ventoux in the same week that we'll be here so hopefully we'll be able to get a sight of some of the star riders as they breeze up in under an hour I should think while we're laboring up in three hours plus and take a look at the graffiti that's been added to the route and you have a very fetching Kazakhstan national team hat. I guess that means you're rooting for Alexander Vinokarov. Well, I guess so. I mean,
1: um, it, was the only, it was the only hat in acceptable colours I could find, but um, but he is a, he's a pre-race favourite this year and also a hot tip for this year's Tour de France. So it'll be nice to see him in action on the mountain. And like you say, we, we might even get the spray cans out and, um,
0: and do some graffiti of our own. Well, that will hopefully feature in next week's show, assuming that we uh, make it up there and don't succumb to the brandy and amphetamines that uh, will is packed in his in his bag but on this week's show we're going to be taking a trip just around the mediterranean to northern italy where kieran yates has traveled to visit a project organized by the slow food movement that involves a ride down the river po in northern italy in aid of gastronomy and much much more from northern italy kieran yates takes up the story
2: it's May, the Giro d'Italia is rolling its way through the hills and mountains to the north of where I am at the moment. Uh, where I am exactly is in the town of Palenza, south of Turin, uh, in the Piedmont region of Italy. And I'm here at the invitation of the University of Gastronomic Sciences and they're organising this autumn a remarkable uh, project called the Po River project which involves cycling the length of the Po River and I'm going to speak to Catherine Fairevi about um, the project and find out exactly what it's all about. Catherine, when I think of a school of gastronomic studies I think about chefs in TOCs working away learning how to make choux pastry and puff pastry Uh, The University of Gastronomic Sciences is quite unique and very different. What actually goes on here?
3: Well, actually it's exactly to change this um, image of when you think about gastronomy that you just think about um, chefs or people working in restaurants or somebody studying nutrition or somebody studying dietetics, which we think is at the moment um, something that is quite uh, specific going into a very scientific direction. Whereas we, with the University of Gastronomic Sciences, what we are trying is to have a multidisciplinary approach, look at the many, many aspects that are connected with something like with a subject like food. Um, I always uh, coined the example of today making a dietary plan and, and um, recommending to eat white meat doesn't mean anything anymore. We shouldn't look just at nutritional values, but we have to look at many, many aspects. depends where the chicken has been bred, what it has, has been eating, if it's something local or something that comes from far away, topic like food miles and so on. It's something um, that includes both humanistic and scientific aspects, and that's exactly what we are covering.
2: It's a very new university, it's in a beautiful campus location uh, in an old ducal palace. How did the actual university get founded?
3: Yeah, it was an idea of um, this organization called Slow Food that was um, founded in 86, an organization that uh, started off with a small group of uh, students um, promoting culture and therefore as well food culture, knowing the very close link between food and culture. And. Um, uh, they In the last 20 years they became very famous and um, bigger and bigger and uh, changed as well their name from an Italian name to the international name of slow food but unfortunately, they started to have round ninety-eight. They started to have this image of being a place that is, of being an organization that is just for niche market for people who eat out well, spend a lot of money, go to the best restaurants. Which at the end was not part of the deep philosophy. the The, the deep philosophy of slow food is to uh, make it possible for both poor, poor and rich to eat sustainable food, to eat well, to to uh, be part of to be proud of your culture and carry on with your culture so when when Carlo Petrini the president of slow food realized that slow food especially internationally was going into this direction of being a little bit too much of a luxury niche movement he wanted to change this and thought about going into education and it started off with uh, educating young people going into uh, elementary schools uh, doing school garden projects where kids were growing their food, uh, like in the schoolyards they were having gardens, growing their food, finding out that uh, there are many varieties of tomatoes, there are many varieties of apples and not just the two, three they knew from supermarkets, and finding out about getting closer to soil and nature. And the next project was then looking at young people saying, well, we could get young, motivated people working working in this sector. And that's when he looked into the world of universities and saw that the universities that existed and offered courses were very specific, just scientific, going into one direction. And he wanted to create something um, that was more multidisciplinary, multi-aspects, that then brings experts of... Um, People who who know about gastronomy linking the different aspects together, they can then be working both in consultancies, in journalism, in different different parts. The most important thing is to have the big picture and being able to link the different aspects.
2: The Po River project is also a brainchild of Carlo Petrini's. And what, what exactly is the Po River project?
3: Well, it is... Um, one of our approaches like in the university we are trying to have both theoretic and practic education, practical education. So we have been already during the regular study years we are, we are traveling a lot. And so it's another way of um, taking education into the field because knowing that gastronomic sciences is is a very new sector and people obviously having done their studies uh, will have difficulties to to possibly at the beginning find a job in, in the world. Um, it's the best to get them in touch with reality very fast. To get them in, in touch with the sector very fast. So this is another way. The PO project is basically the whole university, 150 people, are going to move on bicycles. Bicycles, why bicycles? Because it's a slow way of moving and a good way of of seeing what you what you want to see. And um, we are going to move uh, from the uh, regions of the Po uh, down to the uh, to the part where the Po goes into the sea.
2: Where, where exactly is that? The Po starts? It starts
3: it, at Pian del Re, which is uh, a little place uh, close to the Monviso, because obviously the mountain Monviso, uh, that's where the Po starts.
2: In, in which region?
3: In, in Piemonte. All ah, right. So it all starts off in Piemonte, just north of, of Turin. So we are not far away from Turin, and that's where we start. And then we followed along and we we're crossing the regions of Piemonte of uh, Lombardia of Veneto and um, yeah and then going Ruvigo Ferrara into the t- Delta there's a the wonderful bo- Po tel- Delta and then um, yeah so we're basically moving along the whole poem what we're going to do is we're going to take our um, professors that teach us normally during the year we take them with us and we're going to have lectures during the uh, the journey so the professors will um, Teach us, for example anthropology uh, like they would here, but then linking it to a problem uh, um, a theme a problematic of today showing people how you can apply your your studies so that's the one part of it the other part of it is that is exciting that we are organizing the trip like it's us students actually organizing the trip for ourselves under supervision of people who, who are experts in organizing trips like these and that's <coughs> as well to help us especially the international students to help us to replicate this model one day like now we have seen there are so many rivers and and most more or less all big rivers have very similar problems so what we do today along the Po River highlighting the problematics of the Po River in a constructive way not just criticizing but saying as well what one could do to to change the, the problems we could then uh, replicate on the Danube, replicate on uh, on the Loire, replicate on on any other rivers in in Europe or in the rest of the world.
2: So so part of the project is to highlight the problems that um, the ecological problems of the Po River and there's 150 students you're all traveling by bike it'll it'll be quite a dramatic sight as you travel through the Italian countryside Are, are you hoping that that will generate some kind of media interest in the whole project?
3: Yes, yes we do hope and we obviously have tried as well to um, organising our different days. We have tried to organise cultural events in the evening, inviting uh, famous Italian uh, or international celebrities um having giving concerts giving talks or so, so on to to give us a little bit more to give us a little bit more chance to to be seen by the media because at the end the important thing is just that the world starts to be aware of the fact that the river is something is a very important system and and um that we need to look after it
2: What kind of bicycles are you actually using for this whole expedition?
3: Well, we're using very, very simple bicycles. Um, They're handmade bicycles. They're actually um, made by three uh, young gentlemen in... um, close in the um, uh, region of Lombardia. And um, they're handmade, all mostly with uh, Italian parts. So it's, it's, as well, a little bit already trying to show it was actually quite funny. We were talking about this, trying to show that it's not just slow food. You can put slow the uh, the philosophy behind any other product as well. So that would be a slow approach to, to a bicycle making.
2: So, so the the slow approach is that it's carefully crafted and. Um, not mass-produced. It, it can be mass-produced, I suppose, but it's more to do with the craftsmanship that goes into a product.
3: But as well, uh, sustainability—that it mm. supports local e- uh, economy, that the money uh, stays in the local economy. So local people producing uh, a bicycle using just Italian parts and and selling again, lo- like to do, in order to have a, s- a certain kind of sustainability. Mm.
2: Um, I've actually seen the bicycles that you're using and they are very beautiful. Um, Have you you been out and used them yet?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) We got... um We did two weeks in a row um, doing these test drives on the bicycles and as well starting to try to find out about group dynamics and how to move and how to tell people to stop. How were the group
2: dynamics? It
3: was fantastic. We had people going off into the ditch and uh, crashing into cars and and we had many, many things. So, So
2: there's a bit of work that needs to be done there. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. Many people saying, why do I have to go out with the bicycle? I know how to ride a bicycle, but then it's not the same thing going out on your own and going out in in 10, 15, 20, 150 people. So it was very useful and uh, lots of fun, obviously, as well. Are,
2: Are there any particular points on the journey that you're specifically looking out for or looking forward to?
3: Um me personally, like it's very interesting that we have a scientific committee uh, following already for the last three months, they were doing work on uh, on the um, water tests and so on on the PO. And they're going to follow us during the journey and they're going to present us their results and we're going to think together how and in which way one could um, improve things. So I'm very much looking forward to the results and the brainstorming around with the other professors that are following us around how to change things. Um, Obviously it's very exciting to uh, pass in the different towns and uh, we're very much looking forward as well to make the contact with the local people. We hope that we are not just being the big group of students passing but being able to talk to them, being able to, to find out more and obviously just by going into the field and talking uh, you can, it's easier to understand.
2: The journey starts in towards the end of September? Yeah, it's con- on the
3: 26th of September we are fi- leaving and, and we are coming back on the 20th of October.
2: So how far are you travelling each day?
3: Well, it's the whole journey is, is around 650, 660 kilometers, and we're doing um, an average of 20, 30 kilometers a day. There's one day with 40, but that's the maximum. So it's something because the day is organized into cycling and having lectures and meeting people and cultural events. Obviously, it's something that is quite slow again <laughs> in its approach as well. But uh, that gives us the chance, obviously, to see, to get out the most of it.
1: When God was young He made the wind and the sun And since then It's been a slow education Got that one idea again.
0: Was Kieran Yates reporting from Northern Italy about a fantastic slow bicycle ride down the River Po? And I can vouch for the quality of the bicycles that are going to be involved in that ride. Um, there's a website which has them all displayed uh, in their glory. They're really beautiful machines, absolutely classic. Um, and the work, the handcraft, really, of three guys from, I think, Lombardy um, is the region that there from and if you can get your hands on one of those bikes i don't know whether they're going to be imported into the uk but you will be a seriously stylish bicycle rider on one of those no matter how stylish you are on your bicycle there's a danger that a bendy bus will come and knock you down in london these are these articulated buses that have been introduced into london in the last few years 345 of them replacing the very famous double-decker buses uh, that everyone seems to know London traffic by. And these are single-decker buses with a join in the middle. You see them a lot in other cities as well, but they haven't been something in London until very recently. And they are incredibly unpopular with cyclists. And the Liberal Democrat transport spokesman on the London Assembly, a man called Jeff Pope, has just released some new figures that he's extracted from London Mayor Ken Livingstone explaining that cyclists are three times more likely to be injured on bendy bus routes than on normal bus routes. Uh, He has counted 30 injuries in the past 12 months and the statistics seem to point to the fact that bendy buses are more dangerous for cyclists, I know they feel more dangerous now the statistics show that they are more dangerous, and also more dangerous to pedestrians. It seems that, according to these statistics, pedestrians are twice as likely to be involved in a collision and the resulting in injury with a bendy bus than with a conventional bus. What's your impression of bendy buses, William?
1: Well, as a as a cyclist, I I, um, I definitely understand the, um, these, these statistics, and, and, and they don't surprise me at all, actually. There is a real risk um, that you get knocked off by the back end of these buses. That's what actually makes them really frightening, is if you cycle up alongside, or a bus comes alongside you, if, they, if they're going to turn a corner, then because of the articulated nature of the bus, the back half gets really, really close to the curb. And um, I'm sure that would have been the cause of, of the accidents with the cyclists. As for the pedestrians, I'm not really sure, but it may well have been a similar type of effect with the, with the rear end of
0: the bus getting, get, even going onto the pavement, possibly. I don't know. Now they do really swing around, particularly on left turns, and they absolutely cut out that space on the left side, which cyclists often use and are often actually encouraged to use by the green cycle lanes that... The London authorities have decided to put down for our benefit. So actually the cycle lanes are putting you in the most dangerous position in regard to these articulated buses. It's surprising, you know, when you think about it now, maybe this is with the benefit of hindsight, but...
1: Thinking about the, the the useful application of these kind of buses in, in a city like London where they it's not like a, a city of straight streets and blocks, you know. There's lots of um, there's a lot of corners, a lot of quite abrupt corners as well. And I'm sure that um,
0: these Bentley buses were not designed for cities like London with it with that amount of cornering. But they have a sign on the back of them that says this bus is 18 metres long, beware, basically saying do not pass on the left. Do you think that's sufficient as a safety precaution? Well, you know,
1: it's not about the length. I think it's about the width that they take up.
0: And also there's an issue to do with actual use of the mirrors. They do have quite good, generous mirrors, and the drivers are supposed to be trained. I don't know whether they use their mirrors. There's been some work done by the London Bicycle Messengers Association showing that heavy goods vehicle drivers don't actually use the mirrors that are provided there so that they can see what's going on behind them and what's coming up. Um, In terms of other traffic, I don't know whether that's a situation with bendy buses or in bus drivers in general, whether they're actually using their mirrors as effectively as they could be. I've certainly had one or two moments where I felt like the bus driver is being pretty aggressive and wanting to get where he's going and has found me as a single cyclist, you know, a bit of an obstruction to his progress.
1: I think it's possible that even with a rearview mirror, when you're turning left... You may not actually be able to see that far back along the bus, particularly at an angle. The mirror probably has a field of view which goes straight parallel with the front half of the bus,
0: and that may be why they haven't seen people. Well, as we said at the start of this week's bike show, we are in Provence in the south of France, and I have not seen any bendy buses on the streets of Aix-en-Provence. It's really a beautiful city. I'm not quite sure architecturally... What the origins are, I know that there was a King René who uh, was the King of Provence at the time of its heyday in the kind of Middle Ages before its succession to uh, the, the modern state of France. But it really is utterly charming. There are a lot of fountains in the squares. The produce is exceptional. Um, we may actually be making our ascent of Le Mont Ventoux in the slow food tradition, taking our time and also with a musette full of very tasty French things oh my god we're just now being passed by three what looked like policemen on bikes or are they ambulance men on yeah, bikes I, don't I, think, I think I think maybe they were
1: um, they're police actually I don't think, I think they've got enough equipment with them to be ambulance men I think they're kind of security
0: folk police on bikes in Aix-en-Provence um, and as I was saying we we may be uh, Engaging in a little bit of the gastronomic approach to getting up Le Mont Ventoux. I mean, the, the wine that is grown on the slopes of Le Mont Ventoux is renowned, particularly the rosé wine, um, which is often the cyclist's favourite lunch, lunchtime quaffing materials. I think that's right. I don't think we're going to have much choice
1: about the uh, the speed of our ascent, so we might as well make the most of it. With uh, with the with the gastronomy available in the, in the region, and you're right, we, we, we can't miss the opportunity to uh, to have a bit of rosé at lunchtime and a little little sleep under a uh, under a lime tree, um, and or or in the uh, in the pine forest on the on
0: the lower slopes of Le Mont Ventoux. It's going to be a nice day. Well, if you can't make it up Le Mont Ventoux this year and you do want to do an epic ride then one of the most epic rides i think on the cycling calendar is the annual rolling to the stones bike ride which takes place on the night of the summer solstice and goes from central london to stonehenge and it's organized by london's bike messenger community and i think it's been going for close to 10 years it's, it's nowhere near as big a ride as the Dunwich Dynamo. And maybe all the better for that. Uh, It's just, I think, a group of people, maybe no more than a dozen. uh, And it's quite a long ride, quite a fast ride. Because if you get to Stonehenge by dawn, which is, I guess, about 4.30, you are allowed access to the stones. Because since, well, since I was maybe a teenager, those stones have been roped off and you can only see them from afar. I mean, I think when I was a child, I remember clambering all over them. but, But since then, it's only on certain days that are important to the druidic calendar that people are allowed to get close and I guess they figure that only really dedicated people are going to get there at four in the morning and uh, you can check out the stones. The meeting point for that ride is at 8.30pm at Hyde Park Corner and apparently it will be quite a brisk pace but a, a good you know reasonably scenic route and staying away from the A303 one would hope. Well, that's about it for this week's Bike Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks, William, for being here again. And next week, you'll hear about the success or failure of our attempt of Le Mont Ventoux. Until next week, from the Bike Show, from Aix-en-Provence in the south of France, it's a very warm chapeau.